Support for Think Humanities is brought to you by Spalding University's Sina Jeter Naslund, Karen Mann Graduate School of Writing. Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 51 years. Here's your host, Bill Goodman. What does it mean to hate someone? What does it mean to have so much dislike for a person, place, or thing, so much anger aimed at someone that you would contemplate doing them harm or worse? Why do we hate? How do we learn to hate? There are so many questions. One of the most recent examples of extreme hate might have been in Burlington, Vermont, where three young men, all of Palestinian descent, college students in U.S. institutions, were shot while walking down a city street. Why? Where did the hatred toward these young men come from? To help me sort out some of the answers and explanations, uh, please welcome Raleigh Kincaid to Think Humanities. Raleigh Kincaid is a licensed marriage and family therapist who recently retired from the Family Practice Associates uh, office in Lexington. He's a native of Beattyville, Kentucky. Mr. Kincaid uh, has lived in Lexington for nearly 20 years. He believes his job as a marriage and family therapist is to help people find and act on the truth. What a a moniker to uh, to live by. Uh, we'll talk about that too. Raleigh, welcome to um, our podcast. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here, Bill. Thanks for asking me. Well, this is not a, a, a typical uh, subject for uh, our Think Humanities podcast. The first time I've um, addressed it, I believe, in the uh, five or six years that we've been doing a podcast on a weekly basis. Uh, usually it's books and authors and Chautauqua characters and uh, history and uh, many other uh, different subjects. But uh, although we've talked uh, some current events, we've never really addressed the subject of hate before. And I just thought it was important enough uh, because of the events of the day that we uh, reach out and, and try to understand this a little bit more. Um, and I appreciate you you being with me today. I'm glad to do it. What does it mean to hate someone? Give me a little background on hatred. Well, tackling this is sort of like tackling, you know, you talked about me wanting to find and act on the truth. The truth is a big subject. Hate is also a big subject. There are a lot of theories on what causes people to hate and feel hateful toward one another. I mean, one of the primary ones, Billy, is, is the sort of the whole idea of what they call the in and out theory, which is this is the group that I'm in with. And therefore, if I'm in, there has to be somebody who's out. And sometimes we have people to feel secure. They draw very sharp lines between who's in and who's out. And you tend to tend think positively or love the people who are in and think negatively and sometimes even hatefully toward those who are out. And we're taught a lot of those little demarcations throughout our lives. Well, I think the, the term, the, the, the word we've heard all of our lives, uh, you, uh, you hate to, to spinach. You hate to go to school. Sometimes it's directed toward a person uh, in a, an argument. Uh, how many times have you read or 
heard voiced, uh, whether you did it yourself or in your own family or in a drama on television, I, I hate my mother or father or brother or sister. But it seems like, to me at least, there's a, a not a new definition, but a, a new anger to it, a new uh, vitriol, I think you used in some of our conversations. It, it, it has taken on a... Um, a manner of um, of almost universal uh, dislike of um, and and it's used uh, a lot and um, you you wonder how someone could act on an emotion like that when when you said I hate spinach you just didn't eat your spinach or you were sent to the corner or punished for not eating your spinach but. You, you don't do that when it when it's directed toward another human being has it has it exacerbated has it grown is it is it worse than it ever was i think that's that's a great question i don't know that it's worse than it ever was but it seems to become more acceptable to put it out there to talk about it to to blast in a very open fashion uh the people that you hate and that hate is like love in that we use that word sometimes very flippantly you know I, I see celebrities who greet one another and say how much I love you. And, and, you know, is that real love? Well, I guess in some form it is. But is it the sort of love that is equal to the type of hate that we're talking about to or counter to the type of hate we're talking about? I, I don't know that it's a brand new thing because I think I think those human urges, unfortunately, are in us and have always been in us. But I do think it's become not only acceptable, almost expected. You know, they, we, we expect people to 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 express their hate in very forceful ways anymore or we're not caught off guard by it. we're not surprised by it anymore the the news story that you mentioned earlier is horrific but it's just one of another thousand horrific stories of of hate crime in the united states raleigh did we always were those stories always out there but we just didn't know of them um until the media began to to pick them up and and uh, find out that they were they were good copy. Well, I think there's some of that, but I think it's it has gained some momentum in terms of acceptable, not acceptable, but not unexpected behavior. Perhaps it's, there's you know they talk about copycat people who do things that they see other people doing that got them attention. I think there is some of that that's going on as well as attention sinking in some ways. Uh, I'm I'm going to try to make a point, and the only way I feel like that I can make it a point is in a very extreme, very gross, very even violent way sometimes. Um, but I, but as human beings, I think we've always had the capacity to love and we've had the capacity to hate. But it seems, and maybe, maybe that's just my thinking, but it seems more normalized anymore in this current age that we're in right now. Normalized, and that's in itself uh, frightening to hear you say that. Terrifying. Um, so... When you see uh, patients uh, and they might come to you on their own or, or there's someone uh, asks them to see you or their parent sending a child to see you and they have an anger issue, talk to me about the, the degrees of an anger issue. Well, and, and, and anger is another one of those big words, you know, sometimes the issue is not does the child feel feel anger as much as it is that the child doesn't know how to regulate, how to properly express, how to manage those feelings of anger? And that's that's really what you spend more time doing is teaching children how to regulate and express and to not be 
controlled by or have their their behaviors to be controlled by their anger. And and there are degrees, but w- where that's learned is, is hard to say. Sometimes it, I mean, there, there are psychological issues that are at play with some people. There are people who are in, who are mentally ill and, and that mental illness can express itself in very angry, sometimes violent ways, some psychopathologies and things like that. Um, but a lot of it is also, it seems to be cultured. It seems to be modeling of what we've seen either other people do or sometimes what we've seen our parents do, uh, what we were taught in some ways, and we don't really know how to interpret that. So we express it in inappropriate ways. In your practice, have you seen patients that maybe had a, um, a mild case of anger, if you will, um, that that over the course of your counsel with them, you, you saw it deepening, uh, getting worse, uh, if you will, um, and you, you began to understand a little bit more about where that anger came from? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and you, you, in this room, this is where I previously did my therapy. I use this office today. In this room, you... You, you do go deeper. You do get the stories behind the stories, under the stories, the history that's involved with the things that the kid saw growing up, the, the, the experiences that they have, the ways they interpreted things that they went through as children, as young adults, and so on, the consequences that they've had for those things. And those things can, um, you know, the, if you turn things inward and if you hold them in and bury things down, then that's where toxicity can occur, right? If you want to you make mold grow, you put it in the dark. You take experiences and feelings and put them inside and hold them in. It creates toxicity and the mold grows on the, on the things and they become more dangerous and, and some, sometimes more volatile and more, uh, you know, higher levels of expression. Do you, um, through your professionalism, through your training, you have certain methodologies that you apply to, to draw that out of someone and then to do what? How, how do you then begin to turn uh, that inward, uh, darkness, uh, to light, uh, with a patient. Well, some of it is just get them to take what's on the inside and find a safe place where they can be vulnerable. Vulnerability is a key to a lot we're talking about here is the willingness and ability to say, let me tell you who I really am, not who I think you want me to be or who I think you expect me to be or who I need to portray to you to feel safe about myself but who I really am. And in that experience of, 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 of deep externalization, that letting somebody know courageously who you really are and what it's really like to be you is the first, but perhaps the most important step to the, 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 the turning around the, the healing process that you can be vulnerable and you can be honest and you can say that these things really, and you know, and you can name feelings as they were. And then suddenly Hatred becomes sadness and fear, right? Because underneath the hatred is often sadness and fear. And if you can help people get to that sadness and fear, sometimes it helps them regulate their hatred and their hatred, hateful acts a little bit better. So really it's, it's about the, the greatest predictor of success in the therapy room is called the therapeutic relationship, the therapeutic bond, how safe they feel here, how safe they feel and being who they really are with me. And so they have to come into this room and, 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 and experience me as in a non-judgmental posture so they can say, you know, these are people that I hate. This is why I hate them. This is what happened to me to cause me to feel that way. And for me not to wag my finger at them immediately, right, to, to, to judge them or condemn them for how they feel. That's a, 
that's difficult, is it not, for someone to to get to that point of trust, uh, especially if they have been in this dark place for some time? Yes, and, and it's, it, it's an, it was always interesting to me and gratifying when it worked to see somebody who you knew was getting ready to tell you something that they had maybe never really told anybody before. And they have an expectation of how they think you're going to respond. And then when they take that courageous step and they say it, and then the response is not what they feared, uh, it can become really uh, quite a powerful thing. But it, it takes a while, and sometimes, sometimes they'll walk right up to it and just won't do it, can't do it. Is it uh, too easy to, to, to blame social media? I think it's too easy to blame any one thing. Um, I mean, there's is and it's 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 a great debate. Is the media a reflection of us, or is it a creator, or is it a somehow a cyclical thing? I see a lot of what I call the more, the more. You know, the more I see, the more I do. The more I do, the more I see. The more I see, the more, you know, it sort of feeds on itself and it feeds on us. So our response feeds the media. The media is fed by our response, and we're fed by the media's response. So it, I, I think it's 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 one of the factors. I think it's a little oversimplified to say, well, if we would just eliminate violence from television and, and have everybody watch Mr. Rogers all day long, which I think would be great, by the way, but you know, that's just me, um, that, that this stuff would go away. I don't know that, that it's quite that simple. Is it my error in thinking, is it too much of a generalization to say that uh, it seems like that most of what we see uh, occurs in young uh, white uh, males, uh, for the most part, uh, generally. Do, do, uh, scientifically, do the numbers, percentages add up that way, or is that just what's being reported? Or, of course, this situation in Burlington, Vermont, is, is uh, he's not that young. I think he's, uh, I think he's He's older, 48, or maybe I'm wrong about the age, but he's he's certainly not a young person. But but there's countless numbers of uh, school shootings that have um, uh, created a situation where the they're young males. Uh, is that a is that a, a misnomer? Is that a mistake, or or do statistics back that up? I, I I couldn't quote you chapter and verse on that, but my suspicion is that it that it is backed up. It, I think we run into danger if we overgeneralize and say if there are no other people who are in that demographic. But I mean, you and I can sit here today and count on one hand if that the numbers of say school shootings or terroristic acts that have taken place in our country in the last five years that were brought on by a female. I don't. I can't think of any. So what is that? Why is why is why is the male is is the male by nature more aggressive? Are we biologically, genetically, uh, tuned to be more aggressive, more protective? Perhaps so, uh, but there's also the idea that maybe we haven't, that maybe we maybe we have more to lose. You know that we've been the on on top of the on top of the hill for a lot of generations, and now we're maybe afraid that somebody's going to take that away from us. Perhaps that is in there as well, but certainly. You don't have to look far to see that 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 males, unfortunately, they certainly have the highest percentage of that sort of violence. They're the highest percentage of domestic violence of of uh, spousal abuse is typically the man toward the woman. Um, so, 
unfortunately, there is some some support for that. Today on Think Humanity, I'm talking to Raleigh Kincaid, a uh, therapist, uh, marriage and family therapist uh, who uh, recently retired from family practice associates in Lexington. Uh, uh, Raleigh and I are talking about uh, hatred and anger and where that comes from. And and uh, I have a key question on learned hatred. Uh, but first, we're going to pause and hear from our good friends uh, down at uh, Spalding University who underwrite our program and we appreciate uh, all the work that they do and appreciate uh, the underwriting that they do for us. We'll be right back after this. Spalding University's low residency MFA in creative writing prepares students to publish, produce, and find professional success. Alumni publish books with top presses, write for television and film, and have plays produced around the country. They work as editors, professors, media professionals, content developers, and more. Writers thrive at Spalding's Naslin Mann Graduate School of Writing. Learn more at spalding.edu/mfa or email schoolofwriting at spalding.edu. Raleigh Kincaid uh, is our uh, guest today on uh, Think Humanities. Uh, we're talking about. Uh, events, uh, current events in the news having to do with uh, hate and uh, anger and uh, acting out. And um, uh, I, I, I'm going to uh, um, say that uh, a branch of um, of humanities, uh, of uh, uh, of anti-humanities, uh, and and working towards your uh, in a in a bad way towards your fellow uh, man and woman. Uh, boy and girl, child uh, in a in a very uh, ugly, uh, often uh, too often uh, way that we see in in society today. Raleigh is um, is hatred. Um, is it a learned um, practice? Um, I mean, we're not we're not born with with the innate ability to hate or are we? That's a that's a tremendous question. I, I was just uh, talking with a friend. Actually, since you and I talked a couple of days ago about doing this and it's some research that he had read. And one of those pieces of research was toddler research uh, uh, had to do with toddlers playing with puppets and the toddlers playing with puppets. If the puppet chose the food that the toddler like, in other words, yes, what food do you like? I like macaroni and cheese. And the puppet says, I like macaroni and cheese. Then the toddler tends to feel more warmly toward the puppet that chose as they did. If another puppet that doesn't like macaroni and cheese hits the puppet who does like the macaroni and cheese, the toddler dislikes the one. But if the toddler, if the puppet who likes the macaroni and cheese hits the other puppet, the toddler's kind of okay with that. So there is some of that in and out. Who I, The group that I belong to is who I'm going to side with, kind of regardless of how they are. But I think there's there's absolutely a cultural projection across generations you know and i don't know what 50s 40s the the music south pacific there was a song in south pacific you have to be carefully taught who to hate you have to be carefully taught and i think that is absolutely in there i was raised in southeast kentucky um and i'm a proud hillbilly but we were also kind of carefully taught who not to like and who to be okay with and who to be wary of and who to not allow too close and that wasn't just innate in me. That was sort of given to me by the culture 
in which I was raised. So I think it's a bit of both. If I can um, probe that just a bit, uh, uh, you uh, personally uh, about that, how did that uh, how did that manifest itself in your growing up? How, how did you, if you weren't, uh, if it wasn't in school that you will dislike so and so or or this group of people, how how was it um, how was it taught to you or taught is not the right word? How did you understand that you 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 weren't to like those people? Yeah, it's, it's really insidious because it's just sort of woven into the fabric of things. You know, you would talk about, you would you would use pejorative terms to talk about certain groups. You know, um, people who were gay and lesbian, there was names to call them. People who were African-American descent, there were names to call them. People who were of Jewish or Muslim or anything else, there are names to call them. So there's this sort of insidious, constant uh, negative pejorative use of pejoratives to describe certain groups of people. Um, and, and it really wasn't harbored. Now I'm not talking so much about every member of my family, but the culture in general and some members of my family, it really wasn't harbored to question those very much. I, I had a relative who, <laughs> I, I, I laugh, but it's not funny. This relative who really loved all in the family. He thought Archie Bunker, was great and it wasn't because he got the humor he got it because he believed that what archie Bunker said was exactly right so that was part of what i was taught i remember watching martin luther king on tv when i was a little kid and and and, and people that i was with saying really horrible things about dr king and and i remember this was a kind of an important moment for me because i remember thinking what is it that he's saying that is so bad you know he's talking about love he's talking about nonviolence. he's talking about equality, you know, sounds like really good things. And yet some of you are saying these horrible things about it. So I think I understand it uh, a little bit uh, clearer. What you're saying is that no matter how much we think we're growing out of this, uh, no matter what our education level, uh, th there forevermore is going to be a, a faction of uh, the world that still has this in their in their DNA, if you will, uh, it's it's being talked about when children are young, and some of those children might grow out of it and 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 learn something else. But then there's always that faction that that doesn't, and and that's that's where it that's where it grows, that's where it it festers. And I th and I think the way that you grow out of it ultimately is in relationship. I think relationship is a key element. That's 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 being missed. And that is for me to have grown out of some of those things came as a result of me having relationships with people of those other groups, sometimes even before I knew they were in those other groups. And suddenly here I am with a friend that I began to feel, feel very warmly toward and then realized then that that person was gay. Oh, my goodness. What do I do with that? Because I was taught that this was bad and sinful. But here's this person that I really like and seems to share a lot of my general views of the world. And it's in relationship that that starts to change. And, and maybe the key element being how do we get people, convince people to be vulnerable enough to create relationships or at least to begin the job of creating relationships with people who are not like them, who see the world differently than they do. How many times have you uh, counseled a, uh, a mother or father about their child um, when you were pretty sure 
that uh, without without knowing, uh, I don't guess you'd know you you ever know anything, but you feel like that the the family unit is a, a loving, uh, uh, nurturing family unit. Um, uh, they've done everything they possibly can to to raise this child uh, well, uh, the right education, uh, whether it includes uh, religion or not. Um, They've loved the child, they've traveled with the child, they've educated the child, and then all of a sudden they come to you and to say, uh, Johnny or Sally is really in a dark place now, and if we don't do something now, we think something uh, horrible is going to happen, and and, and oftentimes it does. Uh, And unfortunately, these days, uh, and uh, statistically we're finding out that out out of the pandemic, Kids are more anxious, and uh, gosh, they're they're just uh, unfortunately the suicide rate among teens and all of that. You 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 know those numbers much better than I do. It's 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 awful. But but they they come to you and say, "What can we do?" Um, how often have you then seen the child, and and you know the background is good. You know the. There wasn't a learned hatred in the house. They didn't. They didn't hear the N word around the supper table, uh, or, or the homophobic phrase, or they, they, uh, they weren't called a religious uh, uh, vitriolic word of some sort. So, and there's the child in front of you. How do you? How do you? What do you do? Well, you first you have to create that therapeutic relationship, and sometimes teenagers are the least willing. You know, here I am, a 67 year old man to be, to learn how to be vulnerable with me. But if you can create that relationship and, and you start that, then you, you know, then, then you find those experiences that perhaps they, from my perspective, sitting here talking to them, does, does it seem like that big of a moment But somebody at school said something, somebody at the wrong moment made a negative comment toward them, or they, they felt like they were not being as included at school with certain groups that they, as they really wanted to. So they sort of had to put on the trappings of, of a group that, you know, that's, that's part of what creates, you know, a a hate group is a lot of people who hate, but also a lot of people who just want to be part of a group. Right. And and so becoming a sense of belonging and feeling a sense of connection, you know, I want to, I want to fit in with my guys. Uh, And sometimes there's trauma and things that have happened that the parents didn't know about. Yeah. And, and, and it can be, it's sometimes it's a timing issue where we are psychologically and developmentally and certain events happening at the wrong moment becomes from sometimes a magical negative elixir. And you just have to probe for those things and hope to find them. And then you, you try to, you know, sort of help them recognize the flaws in their thinking, recognize the distortions and how they view the world and help them create other ways of looking at that same situation that are healthier and more functional. So is it naive uh, to think that we're going to continue to be like this, uh, that we can't educate ourselves out of it, that we can't uh, therapeutically talk our way to a more positive world, uh, that there, there are not enough apps and therapists and psychological basis for thinking uh, that, that there are no courses offered in middle school and high school for these kids or for adults for that matter. My goodness, we need it too. that. Um, are we going to have to live with this uh, 
circumstance, which a lot of people will say without being overly pessimistic on this uh, drizzly uh, winter day, uh, this is this is life as we know it, and and we're just going to have to accept it. I, I just can't allow myself to believe that, Bill. I I, I just can't. I, I I cannot. I'm going to choose not to succumb to that thinking. I, I'm I'm going to make a commitment to myself, and maybe this is the whole idea for everyone: is to say, I don't know what I can change, but I know how I can be, and I know how I can relate and interact with people, and I'm going to choose that, and I'm going to continue to choose that. And every opportunity I have to mitigate hate with love, I'm going to do so. But I'm also going to do that by allowing people to be who they are and to say what they think. And even the people that I don't agree with, you know, I want to make space for them as well, because we can't understand each other and love each other until we make space for one another. I'm, I'm going to choose to believe that that eventually that wins. But, you know, I've been called a... <laughs> My mother famously said one time, honey, your heart was always bigger than your head. <laughs> and I hope I, you said think, uh, that, that's that's the way I want to be, mom. I think, well, because it was true for her, and not to get into my story, but it was true for her that her heart always led before her head. You know, she believed some things that she didn't act on because her heart wouldn't let her do that. Same. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm going to choose to to believe that if I'm going to train you to continue to try to be kind to people and act lovingly toward people. And maybe it'll gain some momentum. Well, you leave uh, leave us on a, a very upbeat, uh, optimistic note. Uh, whether it's drizzly on the outside or not, uh, we're we're uh, warm and um, and and feel good about uh, what you've uh, told us inside. So, uh, Raleigh Kincaid, uh, uh, thank you very much for your wisdom and and the work that you've done, and we'll keep on doing. Thank you for having me. I very much enjoyed it. Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 51 years. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Join us next week for a new episode of Think Humanities.